Would you please remain standing as I read this morning's scripture? This is out of John 16. It's the words of Jesus. But now I am going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I am going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best. It is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. As we launch a brand new series called The Third Person, let's start uh, just with the people next to you, maybe in your row. 20 seconds, come up with as many famous trios as you can. Ready? Go. All right, stop. Pencils down. Pencils down. Hey, before, I, uh, before we talk about who we came up with, if you have children joining us and you want them to uh, head to Kids Church, now would be a good time to do that. Paul and Carrie will meet you right out in the lobby. Maybe in your little group, you came up with uh, these guys. Three Stooges. Anybody have Three Stooges? Here's some of those. Okay, how about... Harry Potter, Hermione, Ron, anybody have them? No? Okay. Still in? Did you have? Okay, you did. All right. How about the Jonas Brothers? Anybody think of the Jonas Brothers? That's right, no one did, because they're an afterthought at this point, okay? How about the Three Amigos? We have that? Yep. Got some people who understand how things work. How about Luke, Leia, and Han? Anybody have them? No? And how about... All for one and one for all. Three Musketeers. Anybody have them? Okay. Uh, anybody have one? I didn't. Just shout out one at me. Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Okay. Uh, for the record, maybe you thought of Destiny's Child. What's that? Earth, Wind, and Fire. Earth, Wind, and Fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay. Great job, Noah. Gold star for you. Uh, I'll be sure your dad knows you said that out loud in church. Uh, I also thought of Destiny's Child, but I couldn't find an appropriate picture to put on the screens this morning. So, um, The Holy Spirit is part of what is known as the Trinity. We worship a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, we understand Father and Son. That's a normal framework for us to uh, comprehend something. We know what a Father is. We know what a Son is. But Spirit, that's weird. That gets a little bit strange. What do we do? What do we do with that? We've got to answer this question this morning. Who on earth is the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is, is a little bit confusing. He often gets miscategorized or misunderstood or sometimes his message is manipulated. And so we're going to spend some time understanding who is the third person of the Trinity. The Spirit can be hard to fathom because his form isn't absolute. Father and Son we get. Spirit is strange. Here's what Francis Schaeffer said, author and theologian. He says this, Supposing we had awakened today to find everything concerning the Holy Spirit and prayer removed from the Bible, what difference would it make practically between the way we worked yesterday and the way we would work today and tomorrow? 
Who is the Spirit? You know Him? You talk to Him? You depend on Him? You lean into Him when life gets hard, your burden is heavy? You allow Him to work in and through you. Who is the Spirit? Let's walk through Scripture and talk about who He has been. From the beginning, the Spirit is present right there at the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The Spirit of God is hovering over the water. I want you to imagine a helicopter just above a lake causing the water to shake. That's the kind of language being used. There's this tremor, there's this tremble happening as the Spirit is present at creation. The Spirit is present in the burning bush as God gives directives to Moses to go back to the land of Egypt. The Spirit is present in the flames of a fiery furnace as he saves Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The Spirit is present in the vocal cords of a donkey, Balaam's donkey. The Spirit manifests itself through the miracles of Elijah, and doubly so in his predecessor, Elisha. The Spirit is present in the writings of the prophets as it anoints them to declare the judgment, but also the coming salvation of God. The Spirit is present, Ezekiel says, when it breathes life back into dry, dead bones. The Spirit will arrive, Jeremiah says, when the Lord pours out His Spirit on His people. The Spirit takes up residence in Daniel and allows him to interpret dreams and then saves him, shuts the mouths of lions as he's thrown into a den. We witness the Spirit over and over and over again. In the Old Testament, it's the Hebrew word ruach. Everyone say ruach. Kind of got to say it like there's peanut butter stuck on the back of your throat. That's how it works. Ruach. But it sounds like a because it means breath or wind. Occasionally, it's, it's even defined as a fragrance. And one, uh, one definition for ruach is, and I love this one, the atmospheric phenomena that takes place when a deity is moving. That's a cool definition of a word. The atmospheric phenomena that occurs when a deity moves. Outside of the biblical text, we find those kinds of definitions. Within the Bible, we find over 260 uses of this, Greek, or this Hebrew word, ruach. It is the ruach of God that gives life to all things. It is the ruach of God that blows back the waters of the Red Sea and allows people of Israel to walk across. It is the ruach of God that fills the lungs of Gideon just as he blows the trumpet, sounding the charge into battle. It is the, the ruach of God that comes upon Saul and David as they prophesy. The Spirit is all over the text. In the Greek, it's the word pneuma. Everybody say pneuma. Okay, not as good as ruach. Try it again. Pneuma. Better. It is the pneuma, which is defined as spirit, but breath and wind and sometimes ghost. We sometimes refer to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost, uh, just to scare children. That's why we do it. Um, but the spirit is the one who gives a child to Mary. His name was Jesus. The Spirit fills Zechariah as he prophesies about Jesus. The, the Spirit, the pneuma, is the, what John announces Jesus will baptize others in. John, standing in the wilderness, says, I baptize you with water, but there is one who is coming who will baptize you with pneuma, fire. It is that same pneuma that descends on Jesus at his own baptism as he comes out of the water, and the heavens part, and the Spirit of God descends like a dove. And in that voice that I think sounds like Mufasa, this is my son, whom I am well pleased. It is that same Spirit that descends on those who are gathered on the day of Pentecost. Gathered, praying, asking God 
to receive something new, and He gives them His Spirit. The Spirit is not a Jedi thing, not some weird force that you can move objects with, right? The Spirit is personal. This is what Scripture teaches. He reasons in Acts 15. He speaks in Hebrews chapter 3. He feels in Ephesians chapter 3. He thinks and understands in 1 Corinthians 2. He has personal fellowship in 2 Corinthians 13. The Spirit is a person. You can know Him. You can talk to Him. You can have a friendship with Him. And despite all these various manifestations, a burning bush or the mouth of a donkey or in the miraculous, the most favorite form the Spirit takes, you. God wants to put His Spirit in you. God desires that, our, that His Spirit would be indwelling. We just read in John 16 that Jesus says, listen, I'm about to go away, but it is to your advantage that I go. The Spirit within you is better than Jesus beside you. That's crazy. I don't understand that. I want to have Jesus here with me right now. But Jesus himself says that the spirit within you is better than Jesus beside you. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 through 27, here's what the prophet writes. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Likewise, the prophet Joel, heck of a name, in chapter 2 says this. I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike, and I will cause wonders in the heavens and on the earth. So the question must be asked, why does God want to put his spirit in me? Why is God so determined for his spirit to dwell within me and you? Well, here's why. Here's the whole sermon in one sentence. You guys can fall asleep after this. Here's what it is. God wants to put his Holy Spirit in you so that he can proclaim the gospel through you. God wants to place his Holy Spirit in you so that he can proclaim the gospel through you. You heard Dusty stand up here and say it during our time of communion. That the Spirit is chiefly concerned with one thing, telling the truth about you. Even in the Old Testament, the Spirit is leading people towards salvation. It's providing warning and deliverance and, and intervening miraculously to lead people towards God's good end. And perhaps the most famous interaction with the Spirit happens on the day of Pentecost that I talked about earlier. And in, right there in Acts chapter 2, we read about these believers who are gathered. It says all the believers, every one of them. Scholars would say there's 120 based on the number referenced earlier in the text. They're all gathered in one place and they're praying to receive something from God. They're waiting for God to say go. And it says at that moment, something like a mighty wind rushed into the room and it filled everyone and tongues of fire appeared above their heads. And what did they do? They went out and they began speaking all kinds of languages and dialects they previously did not know. All preaching about this man named Jesus. So we need to make a few observations about Pentecost and what it teaches us about the Spirit and its role in our lives. Number one, the gospel is for everyone. The text makes it clear. Because it was put plainly in everyone's native tongue, it is for everyone. Every tribe, every gender, every 
sexuality, all of these categories that we put people into, the gospel is for every kind of person. Likewise, the work of evangelism is for everyone. The Spirit is for believers, not just pastors, not just apostles. The work of evangelism is for everyone. It wasn't just the twelve who were filled with the Spirit. It was all those who were gathered, filled with the Spirit, going out and proclaiming the message. Another fascinating thing about Pentecost is that it is the reversal of Babel. Remember in the book of Genesis when there were people, they all lived in the same place at that time. And they all gathered together and decided, let's make a name for ourselves. Let's be remembered from generation to generation. So what do they do? They construct a large tower. They wanted to get to God's level. They wanted something so big that when people walked past it, those people would be known. And God confuses their plans. He foils them, and how does he do it? He causes all of them to begin to speak in different languages. And so no longer being able to communicate, they're now scattered. They can't accomplish the thing that they wanted to do. And God uses the very same vehicle, causing people to speak all different kinds of tongues, to now bring a message of unity. Salvation is found in no other name, under heaven, given to men through which he must be saved. The name of Jesus. And that's what they all went out preaching and teaching. This is the reversal of Babel, and whereas people were trying to get on God's level, now God has come down to our level, and he empowers people with his spirit to get the gospel message out. The Holy Spirit brings with it some mystery. Because of that, some of us are a little apprehensive towards it. Some of us, when we hear Holy Spirit or we talk about the activity of the Holy Spirit, our first inclination is skepticism. Is that real? Does that really happen? And so because of this, we... We find two camps that are on opposite ends of the extreme. The first is what's known as secession. There are those who believe that things that happened in the first century church, things that the gifting of the Holy Spirit empowered believers to do, no longer exist. They're no longer needed. That's certain people's interpretation. And so they do away almost entirely with the Holy Spirit and its filling of people. Then there are those on the other side of it. And I would put them in a category almost of coercion. You have secession, but you have coercion, and there are certain people who would seek to manifest the Spirit themselves. Now, we probably all have all kinds of stories of experiences in different places and different groups of faith and all those kinds of things. It is not my job or my goal or my intention today to stand up here and condemn anyone's flavor of faith. I just simply want to tell us what the Scriptures teach. The Spirit... The Spirit, according to God's Word, brings order and peace and form to chaos. The Spirit brings fullness to absence. The the Spirit always brings clarity and uniformity. People spoke in all different kinds of tongues so that people could understand them in their native tongue. The Spirit creates, it comforts, it convicts, and it corrects. The Spirit gives life. The Spirit illuminates what's right and true. The Spirit empowers us to accomplish a gospel purpose. The Spirit transforms as it takes up residence in our own lives. And I think there's two things that would be good of us to understand today. Two things for us to understand about who the Spirit is as He inhabits us. Number one, He is breath in our lungs. The Spirit is breath in our lungs. But what does God want? 
God wants more than anything for this gospel, this resurrection message to take root in our hearts and this regeneration to begin. That we would be people led by the Spirit who our entire existence has been changed forever. Fundamentally, we are broken creatures with a lot of fleshly desire. There's a lot that's dark and devious within us. A lot of us have been ravaged by sin. And so we need to be made new. And this agent, the spirit present at creation, is now present in us, recreating us day by day. Another question we might ask is, when do we receive the spirit? When do we receive the Spirit? Now, there's a distinction we need to make. There's a difference between the Spirit working on you or working around you and the Spirit indwelling you. The Spirit leads us to God. It sets the table for us to respond to Him. The Spirit's at work whether He's within you or not. But what the Scriptures teach and what the book of Acts especially teaches is that we receive the Holy Spirit in conjunction with baptism. In Acts 2.38 Peter stands up before the crowd and he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. And then receive the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. This cleansing that takes place through water baptism by immersion makes us hospitable home for the Spirit to take up residence in our lives. We have to be made new. Jesus says, why would I pour new wine into old wineskins? Jesus makes us new through his Spirit, breath in our lungs. What does the Spirit do? Just as God breathed life into Adam, so does the Spirit perform spiritual CPR on us. This isn't like Wendy Peppercorn CPR, right? Remember him? This isn't like I'm faking dead. This is like we really need it. Many of you know uh, we have twins. So we have uh, three children. And as Jim Gaffigan would say, and when people ask him, what's it like having that many kids? He would say, well, just imagine you're drowning and someone hands you a baby. Uh, that's, that's what it's like. Um, for the first month of Porter and Millie's life, we uh, spent a lot of time awake uh, in our room. We sp- still spend quite a bit of time awake, but we found out after the first month or so that the babies sleep best and longest in our bed. And so that means that as the dad, I get to find a new place to sleep, which is my joy and privilege in Christ. Um, and so... <laughs> and so I found a, a, a new home just down the hall from our room in the baby's room where they're not sleeping, but I am. Uh, there's a little twin-sized mattress, a few blankets on it. It's not much, but you know, it's home. It's mine, you know? It's, that's for me. And that room is just across the hall from our bathroom. And so last night, it's a little after two in the morning, and I'm a really heavy sleeper. I don't wake up for much at all. In fact, my sister, who's here right now, had a seizure one time in the middle of the night, all kinds of EMS walking in and out of our house. I didn't wake up for anything. I'm a heavy sleeper. But last night, just after two in the morning, I heard things happening. I heard the shower on. Who's taking a shower at two in the morning? And then I, I heard my baby. I heard Porter gasping for air. Couldn't breathe. Really, really laboring. He's wheezing. He's having a hard time. And so I got up and I walked in and my mom who's here and my wife were both in the bathroom with Porter. They had run the shower to create some steam to help open up his airways and congestion. And, and almost as soon as I walked in the room, I heard them saying, yeah, I think you should Let's take him to the ER. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, okay, here we go. 
And so we gathered up everything that we needed, and we hopped in the car, and we drove to the emergency room over here and um, you know, checked, checked my son in. And, but it seems like it takes way too long to check into the emergency room, if I can just say that. Uh, they call it an emergency, but then it's like, well, you know, how many toes do you have? I don't know. Uh, ask a lot of questions. So my wife and my son, Porter, are able to go back, and, and I am just beside myself worried. It was a long night. It was crazy. I can't do a thing for him. Can't help him. Struggling to breathe. I can't give him my lungs. <laughs> I wish I could. He's just having a hard time. And so while he was at the hospital, um, I got to, because of COVID, uh, hang out outside. Wasn't allowed to be in the lobby. Uh, but while he was there, he received uh, a nebulizer that gave him some medication and a steroid. And then he was transferred to Pittsburgh for some observation, and um, he's breathing better now. He's doing okay, but he's not fully well, and it would mean the world to me if you'd pray for him today. But isn't, man, to me, suffocating is the scariest thing. Not being able to breathe. Not having the breath that fills our lungs that gives us life. That is crazy, and it is an even more scary thing when it's happening to someone that I love. Because I can't just take it for him. And that medication, thank you, Lord, provided some ability for him to breathe, calm down, catch his breath. But friends, Scripture doesn't just say that Jesus checked us into the hospital, gave us some meds. It doesn't say that we were gasping for air. Now, Ephesians chapter 2 says that we were dead in our trespasses. There was no gasp. There is no helpful CPR. We're dead. No breath in our lungs. Spirit rushes into us, provides a newness of life that we could otherwise not have. The indwelling of the Spirit is the invasion of the gospel into our own hearts, minds, and souls. It's making all things new, resurrecting our dead, dry bones that should no longer have life, but now have life, and as Jesus says, have it to the full. Jesus makes salvation possible, but the Spirit makes salvation personal. It contextualizes the resurrection of Christ for us. It takes the good news of resurrection life to our deepest, darkest places, that thing that you won't ever tell anyone about. You're ashamed that you did. Resurrection life can get back in there and say, okay, Jesus died for that. And you don't have to die for it too. This is the image of creation at the beginning, formless and void with darkness covering us. The Spirit announces and activates light and life. Dead to sin, but alive to God. The Spirit is breath in our lungs. Lungs that otherwise would not be able to breathe, but now... Thanks be to God, we are alive because of Christ. Francis Chan wrote a book called The Forgotten God. Maybe you've read it. In it, he writes this, If you or I had never been to a church and had only read the Old and New Testaments, we would have significant expectations of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We would expect our new life with the Holy Spirit to look radically different from our old life without as the Spirit breathes new life into our lungs, I think it accomplishes a few things. The first, the Spirit grants us peace and protection. 
where once there was this unrest and dissatisfaction within ourselves, we now have this profound sense of peace. Where our hearts yearn for something more than material or physical, we have this full sense of satisfaction from the Spirit of God, a presence that provides for us a peace that surpasses all understanding. The Spirit is God's affirmation of you as His child, your nature and likeness modeling His. And where the disease of sin once lived, ruining your heart, mind, and soul, you now have the Spirit of God as the antidote for all of sins. The Bible says that the Spirit of God is like God writing your name or His name on the tag of your shirt. You ever send a middle school boy to camp? Mother's in the room. Let me see you. A few years ago, I took a group of 35 middle schoolers to an event in Waxahachie, Texas, and it was a, a CIY event, and it was a five-day uh, camp experience. And so uh, on day four, Courtney called me, and Courtney was Reed's mom. Reed was a, a brand-new sixth grader to our group, and Courtney said, Joel, I am so sorry. I have just realized I have totally failed as a mother, which is not true. She had three other boys in her house, and life was crazy, but she had just walked into Reed's room, and sitting on his bed was all of his clean underwear. <laughs> and so that then prompted a uh, conversation about hygiene uh, that I had to have and another male sponsor with this young man named Reed, and I said, Reed, what have you been, like, what have you been doing every morning when you get dressed? He's like, well, I've just been turning them inside or out every other day. <laughs> And, and then, my favorite line that he said is, it's okay though, I got in the pool, they're clean. <laughs> so, uh, uh, sixth grade math, yeah, that checks out. And if you're, if you're a, a mother, you know that you need to write your kid's name on everything he takes to camp, otherwise it won't come home. The Bible teaches that the Spirit is the seal that God puts on us. It says, you're mine. You're my child. You belong to me. No one else gets to have you. The Spirit is the assurance that we belong to God. And it's the reassurance of God's promise to us that death no longer has any sting or victory. You remember the passage, 1 Corinthians 15, that we read last week. Oh, death, where is your sting? I looked it up. I, I looked at the, the Greek language this week. And here's how it actually reads. Here's what you can say to Satan. <laughs> nana, nana, boo, boo. Right? Satan, where are you at? You've got nothing anymore. You want to throw death in my face? Death has been swallowed up in resurrection life. There is no sting. Jesus has removed it forever, and the Spirit is constantly reminding us that. Hey, no weapon formed against you shall stand. The Spirit protects us from the evil one, teaches us to say no to ungodliness, the Spirit gives us peace and protection, but it also gives us power and purpose. The Spirit compels us to do the good works God planned for us long ago. The Spirit's chief ambition, remember, is evangelism. God has placed His Spirit in you to proclaim the gospel through you. The Spirit grants us new desires. No longer are we after the things that only led to our death and decay, but now we have been granted new desires of Christ seeking to accomplish kingdom purposes in the world that give us a more full and free life. We're so taken by him that we cannot help but speak about him to others. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John have been arrested and they're brought before the Sanhedrin and they're kind of slapped on the wrist and said, you need to stop talking about Jesus. 
And I just kind of imagine Peter and John giggling to themselves. You know, Peter just calls their bluff. Like, listen, guys, you can do anything you want to us. You can throw us in prison. You can torture us. You can kill us. But we won't stop talking about the things that we've seen and heard. What's going on there? They're so full of the Spirit that when you poke them, it just flows right out. It isn't magical or mystical. Spiritual. Just as the person lying on the ground desperately in need of breath in their lungs, so does the Spirit perform that kind of CPR on us. I can breathe for the first time in my whole life. That's what it feels like to have the Spirit within you. My whole life I've been stifled and and suffocated, but because of the Spirit of God, I have a newness that I otherwise would never have. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells his followers that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This isn't some sort of power that we can use to accomplish our own purposes. This is the power God places within us to be people who accomplish his mission. Spirit is not a power to possess. God's power working in us to accomplish his purpose. The Spirit is the resurrection realized in us. It is the good news going through us just as blood courses through our veins. So does the gospel. To my anxiety, the Spirit says, do not fear for the Lord is with you. To my depression, he says, I have given you a new heart and a new spirit. To my temptation, he says, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. To my sickness, he says, I am the great physician. Anyone who believes in me, even though he dies, shall live. To my longing, he says, behold, I'm making all things new. The Spirit is the agent of revitalization in our own lives, breath in our lungs. He brings new desires. He illuminates truth. He protects us from temptation. He makes resurrection life real within us. The life-giving work of the Spirit means salvation is God's work from from beginning to end. God the Father planned it in His kindness. The Son brought it in His love, and the Spirit brought it to our hard and lifeless heart through His grace. But friends, perhaps the reason we are unfamiliar with the Spirit this morning because we've been content to sit on the sidelines of gospel work. God places his spirit in us to proclaim the gospel through us, and we won't really know him unless we're participating in that kind of work. A few years ago, a couple of social researchers, David Solly and Chris Anderson, wrote a book called The Numbers Game. And in it, they contrast two very popular sports. One is soccer, the other is basketball. And they make an argument that's known as the weak link versus strong link argument. They say that in basketball, if you have one really good player, one star player, the other four could kind of be so-so, and you'd still have a good chance of winning the game. Because that one player could grab a rebound, dribble from one side of the court to the other, and probably score. The great players of all time have been those kinds of guys. To put it in context for you, if you had one Joel and four Carter Beths, you'd be okay, right? Love you, man. But then they make this argument about soccer. They say that soccer is a weak link game, whereas basketball is a strong link, one star player. Soccer is a weak link game. And so it doesn't matter how good your best player is, if your worst players aren't very good, your team's not going to be very good. Because unlike basketball, your best soccer player generally can't just get the ball on one side of the soccer pitch and dribble it all the way to the other end without being contested. They're going to have to pass the ball at some point. And you could make eight really great passes in a row, but if your ninth pass goes to your worst player and he blows it, there goes the possession. It's over. 
And so they make the argument that professional soccer teams shouldn't spend money on star players like Messi or Ronaldo or whoever, that they should take all of that money and invest it across the team. They'd rather have three dimes than one quarter. They'd rather make everybody else better than have one who's really good. Friends, evangelism is a weak link game. There have been some great evangelists throughout the years, some strong links. Billy Graham, Billy Sunday, Tim Tebow even today. People who can really preach the message of Jesus and reach a lot of people, but I'll tell you this. No one lives your life. No one shows up to work every day with your coworkers. No one goes home every night to your family. No one goes to school every day with the kids you go to school with. Those people will know Jesus best when they witness it from you. When they see him consistently modeled and when he's talked about openly in front of them. Sure, they could hear a message one time, one day, and could God save them that way? Absolutely. Most often people come to to know the Lord and they stick with the church when they have a friend who's doing that. Evangelism is a weak link game, and so we all need to get better. It matters that we all say yes to the Spirit of God, that we allow Him to revitalize our own hearts and lives. Alvin Reed writes this, in order to share Jesus well with others, you need to share Him with yourself daily. Simply taking deep, full breaths of the Spirit, being reminded of resurrection life, preaching the gospel to yourself over and over and over again. Here's what Jesus did for me. Now fully assured in him, I'm going to go out and share him with others. The Spirit is breath in our lungs. But he's also wind in our sail. The Spirit's arrival at Pentecost is described as a rushing wind. It takes over the room. And and wind can't be controlled. It can only be harnessed. When our sails are up, We can catch the wind that compels us to do greater kingdom work. It's not just for some people, it's for all people. Author J.I. Packer writes this, Christians need not ask whether they have the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has the Spirit from the moment of his or her belief. The question then is, does the Holy Spirit have you? Not do I have the Holy Spirit, does the Holy Spirit have me? Because the Spirit aims to move us, to lead us, to take us to each new opportunity to faithfully declare Jesus. And whether we evangelize the world or edify the body, the Spirit wants to do something in us. He wants to be the wind in our sails. The Spirit's ambition is to make us people who live out the resurrection. God's ambition in giving you His Spirit is that you would be a conduit, not a collection pool. In Ephesians 5, Paul talks about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And he says this, that we should be filled with the Spirit. The Greek is, go on being filled. It's this continuous action. This is a communal call. It's an invitation of incorporation. And Paul lists four activities in Ephesians 5 that are marks of Spirit-filled people. He says this, they, they speak to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. They sing and make music in their heart to the Lord. They give thanks to God for everything always. And they submit to one another out of, the, out of reverence for Christ. To put that in plain terms for us this morning, here's what that looks like. Spirit-filled people are not complainers or controversy creators. They aren't my way, my preference, my priorities kinds of people. Spirit-filled people aren't stagnant or sidelined. They don't offload the responsibility of gospeling the world to other people. They are ambitious towards gospel in. 
Spirit-filled people are not enamored with what used to be. They are anticipating what God will do now. Spirit-filled people talk about Jesus endlessly. Spirit-filled people are eager to stoke the flame of affection for Christ. Spirit-filled people sing to Jesus with enthusiasm and energy. Spirit-filled people put others first always. His spirit should flow through us so frequently that the gospel is just coming out of us constantly. There should be no disruption in its flow. Whoever we meet, whatever the circumstance, the name of Jesus is always being talked about. God has not given us a limited supply. He's given us the very source of himself. God places his spirit in us so that he can proclaim the gospel through us. So the spirit is breath in our lungs. He's wind in our sail. The question then is, is your sail up? You can only catch the wind if you've hoisted the sail. There's three different stories. They're all throughout the book of Acts, but there's three stories I want to highlight just briefly. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are on their way to the temple. Maybe you remember this song, Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. Peter and John are headed to the temple for midday prayer. And they are walking past a man who had been there probably for decades, most scholars say. He was paralyzed. Couldn't move his leg. And something prompts Peter to stop in that moment and strike up a conversation with him. And ultimately what ends up happening is Peter grabs the man by the hand and he says, in the name of Jesus, walk. And the man's legs are strengthened and he goes jumping and leaping and praising God. The song says. In Acts chapter 8, we meet a man named Philip. And Philip, the text says, is taken by an angel of the Lord and put on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. And as he's there, he doesn't really know what he's doing. He just knows that an angel told him to be there. And as he's walking on the road, the Spirit speaks to him and says, you see that chariot over there? Go walk alongside of it. And as he's walking, he can hear a man from the chariot reading from the scroll of Isaiah, an Ethiopian official, and he simply asks the question, do you know what you're reading? And the Ethiopian man says, I don't. Could you help me understand? And Philip gets to climb up into the chariot and explain to him, hey, all of this prophecy, all of this promise about what God will do and the justice he'll bring, it's happened. It's come to fruition, and it's because of a man named Jesus. I'd love to tell you about him. And Philip baptizes this Ethiopian man in a puddle on the side of the road. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and his good buddy Silas are in prison in a place called Philippi. And while they're in prison, they're doing something that only crazy people do. They're praying and they're singing. They're just having a moment of worship. And then the text says that violently the whole prison shook and all the cell doors flung open. Now if you and I are sitting there and we've been praying and singing and asking God to do something miraculous and the prison doors fly open, we're thinking, praise be to God, I am free. I'm going to walk out of here. I'm going to go home and hug my family. But not Paul. Not Silas. In fact, they catch the, the Philippian jailer in the act. He's about to commit suicide because if any of his prisoners escape, it's his head to pay, and so it's better just to take his own life now. And he says, stop. We're all here. You don't need to do that. And where we would have seen an opportunity to escape, Paul sees an opportunity to evangelize. Tell this man about who Jesus is. And what were Paul and Silas doing in prison? As they're praying and singing, you know what they're doing? Pulling the rope. They're hoisting the sail. Saying, God, whatever you want to do next, I'm ready to go. Take me. 
Whatever opportunity you want to present, because Paul didn't make his life about himself, he made it about Jesus. I'll tell the next person you put in front of me. A lot of preachers would stand on a stage and tell you, Spirit of God's in you, now go change the world. I'm not going to tell you that today. I will tell you this. Go change your world. Nobody lives your life. Nobody walks in your shoes every day. Only you do. It's a weak link game, not a strong link. Go change your world and do it by praying and responding daily to what the Spirit is leading you to. You'll only catch the wind if your sail is up. So be ready. He wants to take you somewhere. He wants to do something powerful through you. When the Spirit sends you, friends, I promise He will supply you. When the Spirit sends you, I promise He will supply you. Sometimes we get nervous about, what do I say? How do I talk to this person? What do I tell him? Just tell him the story of Jesus and how He's changed your life. The most simple way you could ever explain the gospel to, to someone goes like this. I'm going to teach I can't. He did. Because he did, I can't. I can't. He did. But because he did, I can't. Just tell the story of Jesus to them. Introduce them to him. I hope as a church you'll pray these things with me every day. I've been praying them for the last week. God, give me today an opportunity to to speak to someone about Jesus. God, give me today an opportunity to speak to someone about Jesus. Secondly, give me the wisdom to see it. And third, give me the courage to take it. I've been praying prayers like this all week, and God has not answered my prayer. Until this morning, about 4.30 a.m., in a hospital parking lot, I couldn't go in the room with Bailey and Porter. I had to stay outside. I couldn't even sit in the lobby. And so I go outside. There's no way I could sit still at that time. And so I just started walking around the parking lot, put my headphones in, started listening to a sermon, and I'm just praying. I'm praying for my boy. I'm praying about what's going to happen here at church this morning. And I'm just, just asking God to be faithful. I'm asking for the Spirit to show up. And so just having a moment, me and Jesus. So I walk for about 30 minutes, and it's pretty cold outside. And so I actually go get in the car, and I sitting there, and I see another car pull in really rapidly into the parking lot and right up to the emergency room doors. And out of that car, a little hatchback car, pops three women. And one of them scoops up another one, the youngest one. She looked like she couldn't be much older than 12. And carries her into the emergency room. And I just quickly said a prayer. God, whatever's going on, would you just be present? Would you help that little girl? And eventually... Uh, Bailey needed a few things that were in the car, and she was about to be transferred with Porter, and so they let me take some things back to Bailey in the emergency room, and I found out that that girl, Bailey said that she was next to our son Porter in the room next to him. She was really struggling to breathe. She was really having a hard time. Porter had calmed down by this time, and so he was just, she was just really struggling. And so I kissed my son and, and my wife, and I, I prayed over them quickly, and as I'm leaving, I saw a couple sitting in the lobby. And I would love to tell you that in that moment, I just announced the presence of Jesus in that place, <laughs> told them about his faithful love, and I, instead, I just walked out the door. I started walking to my car, and I'm telling you, with each step, I could hear the Spirit in my ear saying, you're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. You know what it felt like? I, I didn't even, couldn't even put this into words the first two services. It felt like I was walking against a strong headwind. <laughs> I said, okay, God, I've been praying this prayer all week. 
I, I don't want to be the person who says no to the Spirit. I, I just don't. I'm kind of bad at it sometimes. I get it wrong a lot, and I walk away from opportunities to share Jesus with other people. But in this moment, I just knew. God's tugging on my heart, and I turned around, put my keys in my pocket, I turned around, I walked in, I said, hey, is that your daughter back there? I think she's in the room next to my son. And this, this dad just looks at me, you know, bewilderment in his eyes, and said, yeah, that's her. And they're kind of like, what do, you, what do you want? Four in the morning, who are you? I just said, I, my name is Joel. I just feel like God's asking me to come pray with you. Is that okay? They said, yes, that would be awesome. And so I just knelt down. I prayed for two people that I don't know for a girl I've never met and hardly even seen. And friends, I am not, I didn't do this to have a sermon illustration this morning. I promise. Because I'm bad at this. I did it just because I wanted to say yes to God. I, want, I wanted my sail to be up, and it was. It was ready to respond to where God wanted to lead and I'll just, I'll just be frank. These people didn't look like church people. I know I'm putting a label on them. They didn't look like they'd been around Jesus folks very much. I'm not sure when the last time somebody prayed over them was or spoke to them about who Jesus is. I don't know what's going to happen because I stopped to pray for them. The Spirit does. Maybe you're the next person the Spirit will lead to interact with them. I just know that in that moment, he was asking me to do that thing. And my sail was up, and I was ready to respond to the wind. I'm really bad at it, I promise. But I'm trying to get better. God places his spirit in us to proclaim the gospel through us. He wants to be the breath in our lungs. He's brought resurrection life inside of us. He wants to be the wind in our sails, leading us other people in other places to tell them about the resurrection life that can be there. Pray. God, thank you for your faithful love. It's made evident in your son Jesus as he makes salvation possible for us. It's made evident through your spirit, God, as you make salvation personal for us. God, you've breathed life back into these dead and dry bones. You brought resurrection into my own heart. Into the darkest places of me, God, you have spoken life. Life. God, I pray this morning in the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that we would be receptive to it. We would be eager to rush forward and say, I want that kind of life. want Jesus. God, would you also help us to be eager to respond, to daily be lifting our sails by thinking about you, by praising you, by praying to you, ready to catch the wind wherever you lead us. Help us to be a people who respond well to the wind that would seek to lead us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.